This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, Simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Max Lugavere is here. Yeah, man. Max, thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks, thanks for, for having here. me. <laughs> uh, so today, we're going to talk about creating a healthy lifestyle. You're the author of a few books here. Uh, I first came in contact with your work because one of our favorite restaurants is... Uh, called Bel Campo. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, and I, I saw your book there, Genius Foods, and now you have a follow-up. I'll hold this up for the folks watching on YouTube. It is called The Genius Life, and so I want to dive into that. In fact, I think we'll call this episode today The Genius Life, and uh, I want to talk about this is a more comprehensive guide than than your first book, and I want to dive into the to the to the two books. But today we're going to talk about just lifestyle. We'll talk about managing stress. We can talk about your mind and strengthening your body and becoming extraordinary, which is the subtitle of the book here. And I found it fascinating that we can't agree on health, and for a long time that sort of puzzled me. Last week we had Rich Roll on the podcast. I'm sure you're familiar with Rich. Yeah, um, we've are friends with Paul Saladino. I know you've had conversations with him before. In fact, we had Rich and Paul on the same episode Having once. Debate. Wow. Uh, we we try to avoid debate, and we 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 try to figure out what do they agree on. So, folks listening to this, uh, Paul is a carnivore, meaning he eats only meat, and Rich eats nothing but plants and so there's seemingly no overlap but surprisingly they they agree on a lot like don't eat a whole bunch of processed foods and so i, I kind of want to get into that and what i like about your approach is you seem to you know sort of mesh the best parts of both of them <laughs> and and so i want to talk about that today now today this is a listener driven show so i thought maybe we would start with some questions from our audience let's start with gavin in gilbert arizona i'm currently working at a job that i love what i'm doing but I would really like some some helpful tips on how to blow off some steam. My boss definitely handles the steam a lot better than I do. He takes on a lot more work than I do in, in a different kind of aspect. But as someone that manages and creates every project that comes my way, I really would like to know how to blow off some steam in those situations where things don't really work out. I got other people that I work with that don't really help me out in the way that I wish they did. Um, any any other kinds of uh, little things, and that could that could be with work, or it could just be with personal. Let me know what you guys have to offer to say. So, Max, uh, Gavin here is really talking about stress, right? He's talking about blowing off steam. How, how does he alleviate stress? Now, um, in your book, do you talk anything about you know dealing with stress, but also sort of maybe good stress versus bad stress? Can we talk about those as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I could I could certainly relate to that. Um, I went through the most stressful time of my life just uh, actually while I was writing this book, The Genius Life. Mm. Um, my mom, uh, Labor Day 2018, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she passed away over that over a three month period in which I was supposed to be finishing up mm. the book. And you know, for anybody who's ever had a sick sick loved one. It's the worst thing to experience. I mean, the world just basically just stops. Um, but if I didn't allocate, even during the worst moments with my mom where I wanted to spend every second with her, you know, every second that I had left, um, I, I carved out time in my day to get to the gym and to practice self-care. Because without doing that, without prioritizing my own mental health in those moments, I wouldn't have made it through to the other side. I certainly wouldn't have been able to finish the book. Um, but just my own fortitude as a human being uh, I, I was reliant on on physical exercise and you know doing things like sitting in a sauna. And the reason that that all of these modalities help is that they help strengthen our our mental resilience. There's a concept that I discovered in the medical liter literature that I bring forth in the Genius Life called cross adaptation. 
And I think cross-adaptation is really important because when it comes to stress, there are two ways that we can really deal with the stress in our lives, right? One is to reduce stress, but sometimes there are moments where we can't actually reduce stress, right? Like I, I, there was no way that I was able to change my situation with my mom. And just like your caller, you know, sometimes people have stressful jobs and, and I don't want to sound like this privileged out of touch guy. Sometimes people have financial burdens, they're in stressful relationships. So the other way that I think people should really be aware of how to um, better manage stress in their in their lives is to boost their resilience to it. So that's one of that you could either reduce stress or you could, you know, accept that you have a stressful situ- you know stressful uh, circumstance and then boost your resilience to it. So this notion of cross adaptation I think is really empowering. And what it basically suggests is that by engaging in activities that are that are acutely stressful in the physical sense, like high intensity interval training, for example, mm. or uh, sitting in a sauna, which gets your heart rate going because you know saunas actually act like a, a mimetic for mild aerobic exercise. We actually can have what's called a spillover effect where the resilience and the acclimation that our bodies um, basically we use to cope with these physical stressors um, can make us more resilient psychologically and mentally. And this is one of the reasons why exercise can make us more you know, mentally resilient. Or um, they're now showing in research, I believe it's out of the University of Chicago, where saunas can actually be used as a powerful uh, means of mitigating symptoms for people with major depression. Yeah. Um, also cold plunge would, would be cold plunges there. are another or another f- you know fantastic example. They're doing studies with uh, cryotherapy showing the exact same thing. There's been a number of case reports published where people do what's called like winter swimming or basically cold water immersion right. and they see that that is a powerful stress relief tool mm-hmm. and it and again it makes you more resilient when you actually have those stressful encounters in your day-to-day life. I love I love how you're explaining how this self-care routine, uh, how being healthy, it builds resilience because, you know, my, my answer for Gavin would have been like, man, you got to find a way to exercise, get moving. Um, but my, my, my reason why is cause I would say, well, Gavin, it'll make you feel better, but it's really the resilience that Gavin will be building up by, by doing some of these things. Yeah. I think resilience is really key, you know, to all this. We want to be as robust, um, as, as we can be as organisms, right? Mm-hmm. We, and that applies, I think in terms of what we're able to, what we feed ourselves. You know, we want to have a, a, a robust response when we eat something that we're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be physically robust. We want to be mentally robust. And I think that we can sort of will ourselves to perform these various activities, whether it's whether it's high-intensity interval training or sitting in a hot sauna. Um, I think that's a great way to sort of buy a little bit of added insurance uh, when these unexpected, you know, stressful stimuli emerge, which you know, especially these days, you know, in 2020, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of stressful events going on. So if we can, you know, take the time, prioritize our our own self-care in all this, I think we'll definitely uh, be able to get ahead. Yeah. The healthier we are, the better we're going to be able to deal with that stress. The better our our body's going to be able to deal with it. Now, let's talk about some of the things that do stress us out because you mentioned uh, going into a sauna or or this interval training or whatever. A lot of these things involve intense focus in a way and also a a clearing of the mind. And I find that to me, the sauna, which I do regularly, I'm really fortunate enough that our, our condo building has a sauna there that if you hack it just right, you can get it up to 220 degrees. So it's uh, it's really great. But I find that there is a, a, a clearing out of the mind that happens. And right now, with all of the stimuli we have, it's not just our, our televisions. You know, Ronnie Chang has this great joke in his most recent special. He said, every day in America, it feels like a contest to see how many screens we can get between our face and the wall. Hmm. And, and so there's a, a big screen TV on the wall and then you've got the laptop on your lap and the iPad and the, uh, and the iPhone and the Apple Watch and, and, and talk about stimuli. We are constantly stimulated with interruptions and, and we're, we're distracted. And I think more than ever, these distractions are really stressing us out. I saw, saw a study that came out this morning, a summary of a study, that Americans are at their... 50-year low of happiness. Now, I think a good chunk of that has to do with the the current crises that are going on, but I also think there are other circumstances that have led to these crises where we are always on, you know, I remember when Ryan and I were in the corporate world, we got our first BlackBerry, and... uh, (laughs) They're like, here, it's going to save you 30 minutes a day. Yeah, and and then the marketing (laughs) changed eventually to two hours a day, but no, it, it cost me 14 hours a day, it felt like, because I was always on it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, we have a finite capacity to deal with stress. And uh, there's actually another cool term that I discovered for this referenced in the medical liter literature. Um, and that is allostatic load. So we have, you know, our bodies seek balance. And that balance um, in, a, in medical terminology is homeostasis, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we're thrust out of homeostasis, when we're engaging in exercise, when we're on a hike, when we're out of breath, when we're sitting in a sauna, when we're, enga when we're confronted with, phys with, with mental and, and physical stress, our, body has, our bodies have to take a certain number of steps to basically get back to that, that, that homeostasis. And the steps of the, the cumulative number of steps that your body takes or the, 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 the sum total is known as allostasis. And um, the problem I think today is that we've just got, there's like too much stress, whether it's from our screens, you know, the screens, uh, news, excessive caffeine consumption, excessive, you know, processed food consumption, we're now suddenly thrust into a state of what's called allostatic overload. And that basically is burnout. So mm. I think it's important for people to take an inventory regularly of the, of the total amount of stressors that they have in their lives um, and to kind of like be mindful of that so that your cup doesn't run over. Right. Um, well, you just said the word excessive, right? Yeah. And so none of these things are inherently bad. Well, I mean, some are for sure. They, they are, I mean, no one's going to argue that that you know smoking maybe it gets you into hormesis or something but yeah. like it's probably not the best way to do that right it, and so when when we look at many of these stressors it has to do with the the amount you know the one cup of coffee isn't bad but if i have coffee all day every day and you have 14 cups like i used to back in the corporate world yeah. that's probably not good for my adrenals or or just for my life in general yeah i think it's important to kind of you know, like intermittent fasting is a great example of this. So a lot of people are practicing intermittent fasting today, which in general I'm a, I'm a fan of. I think it's a very, it can be a very useful tool. But if you're doing extended fasts and on top of that you're drinking lots and lots of black coffee, for example, um, and you're not dealing with the sources of psychological stress in your life, and then on top of that you're throwing in high-intensity workouts, and then on top of that you're not dealing with the relationship that you're in that's gone sour, mm. then all of those uh, tools, which, you know, independent of one another can be very useful, very beneficial, very healthy you know as you mentioned coffee is very healthy observationally we look at you know data we see that people who consume coffee for example have tend to have better uh, neurological health than than those who don't but it's always like a case-by-case -case basis and if in your life you're drinking too much of it or you're drinking it in the context of chronic stress then suddenly it becomes a double-edged sword Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it, it, these are all tools, right? You can use a brick to build a homeless shelter, or you can use it to you know, destroy your neighbor's window, right? And it's yeah. it's how we use these tools. The brick doesn't care either way. Right. And, and the same is true with the coffee or or any of these other things that we sort of uh, use in our life. If we use them in excess or use them inappropriately, then of course we're going to get bad results. Well, Gavin, I'm going to send you a copy of the Genius Life. I think you'll enjoy the book, uh, Sean. If you could reach out to him and. And send him a copy. I'd appreciate it. Our next question is from Elizabeth in Los Angeles. I deal with chronic daily migraines. And I'm wondering, I've worked really hard over the past two years to get in better shape, get my migraines under control. I'm making progress, but as, the, as we enter the summer season and the weather gets more extreme, I'm trying to maintain or modulate those habits, uh, like my daily walking, daily exercise, um, dietary habits, so that I can maintain that success and continue to make progress. But I'm noticing an increase in my migraines, and I'm wondering if you have any advice for dealing with chronic pain in a way that is not excessive and is moderate and doesn't add to the chaos that is life. So Max, Elizabeth here, she's taking some small steps in the right direction, and I think that is advisable for, for most people. She's suffering with migraines. In fact, they're increasing. What do you know about migraines? Because honestly, I know very little. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I can speak generally. I'm not a medical doctor, um, but I, you know, I've. I, what has become my passion is to understand how best to feed the brain, and I think that you know a diet that's good for the brain is going to be good for you know the potential prevention of any number of neurodegenerative conditions, and also even helping to mitigate symptoms of uh, you know mental issues, you know depression, anxiety, and possibly even reduce migraines. But I'm not saying that you know, as a clinician. So I'm saying that basically based on just my sort of uh, understanding of the medical uh, literature. And I will tell you that I, I do have a friend who actually is a neurologist. Um, and I'm not going to name him, obviously, but he has suffered for a very long time with uh, with migraines. And I discovered a small study that um, found that, that were, it, was a, it, it was suggested that um, fairly high dose vitamin D uh, could help people with migraines. And, and we're so, so deficient just as a country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mo- most of us are, I believe the statistics are, you know, three quarters of us are deficient in vitamin D yeah. and we could talk all about vitamin D. I, I go, I do a pretty deep dive in the genius life. Um, but it's important. It's a, it's a hormone in the body that controls the expression of nearly 5% of the genome. So a thousand genes, just imagine being deficient in vitamin D and having, you know, a thousand genes in the 23,000, you know, uh, gene human genome, basically, um, handicapped by the fact that you're not getting adequate amounts of this of this hormone mm. uh so vitamin d i think is important um you know so i would look into that but generally just consuming uh, a diet and living in a way that um minimizes inflammation in the body mm-hmm. uh, let's in- talk a bit about inflammation yeah. because w- when people hear that word they, they think of injury i sprained my ankle and that's inflammation but we don't think about about low level chronic inflammation, or, yeah. and so maybe you can you can explain the difference. Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people think that inflammation is this uh, overall bad thing, but it's not bad at all. It's actually a life saving feature of the immune system that was there to spot clean um, cuts, wounds, scrapes, you know, protect us if we uh, were exposed to the occasional um, pathogen, um, but. You know, as opposed to in antiquity when this this feature, if you will, of the immune system was used acutely and locally, today it's being activated systemically and chronically, not as a response to um, the occasional uh, insult, but to what we're eating and how we're living. Yeah. Mm. And this is actually one of the major issues with COVID-19. So, I mean, a lot of, you know, obviously we've been dealing with this pandemic for the past couple of months and what seems to have emerged in the, in the literature is that people who have high baseline levels of inflammation, people who are perhaps uh, overweight or obese or are suffering from type 2 diabetes, both of which are characterized by chronic low-grade um, inflammation, that there's this inflammatory cytokine storm, which basically increases risk for morbidity and mortality. But aside from that, um, it's just not a great state of affairs for the body to be in because inflammation is not... Uh, it's not a free ride. So whenever inflammation, wherever inflammation occurs in the body, there's what's called collateral damage, essentially. It's like a shootout in a public park. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the bad guys usually get swept up in that, in, that, in that fire, but so do things that you don't necessarily want to get damaged. Right. So when inflammation occurs chronically and all over your body, it can, I mean, it's basically what is now being thought of as the underlying characteristic of all, uh, if not, if many, if not all of the kinds of chronic diseases that we're now seeing saddling um, society and the kinds of conditions which now kill 60% of people worldwide. And right. a lot of that can be addressed through food. I, I learned that through you know, Dr. Saladino and, yeah. and, and through talks with him. And I mean, he, his is a, a rather restrictive diet if we can call it that um you you look at a more holistic approach it seems like yeah i mean i'm not allergic to plants no no i think actually that my dietary approach is among the more the most balanced um i agree in the like the nutritional whatever you want to call it in the in the nutrition sphere and so people from both sides hate you yeah exactly (laughs) exactly um no i'm you know i'm i'm actually i consider myself to be carnivore adjacent because um i do think that it's rare to see somebody who takes a balanced approach and is advocating for the uh, responsible and ethical consumption of meat. Let me pause you there, though, because I look at your book, and by, by the way, I look at the cover of your other book as well, and I, I look at this and I say, well, you are vegan adjacent as well, <laughs> right? Well, and, 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 and so what we're really talking about is uh, some plants are, are, are 
okay for us, yeah. or at least for most people. Um, I, I have a, a bunch of ulcers in my, my small intestine. You might call it Crohn's disease. I, I don't know that I would, but um, and like I, if I eat half of a, a sweet potato, like I feel inflammation in my ankles for a day. Mm-hmm. And so like, I have, you know, uh, I, I mitigate that by, by reducing certain foods in my life. Now, what you're, you, you are advocating is, is a healthy lifestyle. And I think it's not only with food, but this inflammation and getting inflammation under control does start with food. Yeah, it definitely starts with food. I mean, food, um, today, you know, we live in a world where 60% of the calories that we're consuming come from ultra processed foods. And I, uh, actually didn't hear the conversation with Saladino and, uh, Rich Roll, but I would imagine that where they overlapped is that they were both eschewing, uh, ultra processed foods, which now most yes. people consume with abandon. So that's just my assumption. And that's honestly the way that every diet book on the shelves at your local bookstore is going to work. I mean, there is no diet that I know of that's advocating for increased consumption of ultra processed foods. So with that said, I mean, whatever diet it is that you choose to adopt, um, chances are that diet's going to work if you adhere to it. Uh, the approach that I take is balanced in that it, it, it incorporates both um, properly ethically raised animal products, which I think are, you know, absolutely healthy, like grass-fed red meat, you know, f- like shout out to our friends at Belcampo. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's absolutely a health food. I don't think, I, I think it's pretty hard to debate uh, the virtues of grass-fed meat from a nutritional standpoint. And, and you're a fan of organ meats as well, I, I saw. I am, yeah, I'm a fan of organ meats. Um, it's it, There's a bit of a learning curve, I will admit that. I'm not like, you know, one of these carnivores that has like brains, you know, in my fridge. Uh-huh. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think organ meats are, they're, they're nutrient dense, like liver, uh, is one of nature's multivitamins, yeah. if you will. I had liver this morning. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You I do sh- the pills, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. usually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I try to, I mean, I try to eat it, um, at least once a week. You okay. know, it's such a, it's a powerful source of vitamin B12 of yeah. preformed vitamin A. But then I also, I'm a big advocate of consuming plants as well. I think that in right. a perfect world, in a state of, you know, eubiosis, which is basically, you know, if, if all of us had healthy, optimally functioning microbiomes, which we have yet to even fully define in the medical lit- literature, but we do know that the microbiome is important. Mm-hmm. Um, the exact role that it plays in our, in our health, I think has yet to really be um, elucidated. But in a world where everybody has healthy immune systems, there's no autoimmunity, we're all born vaginally, there's not antibiotic overuse, we're not obsessed with these hypersterile lives, and you know we haven't been using uh, antiseptic soaps and things like that for decades. Um, I think plants would be beneficial for, for all people, but today we live in a time where there's widespread immune dysfunction, and for the sake of you know this argument, we could define it as perhaps auto, active autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. Um, People respond negatively to certain molecules in different plants. Yes, um, and so I think that it makes a lot of sense that, from that standpoint, that you know people that cut out certain certain plants might see a reprieve of certain symptoms. Mm-hmm. Do I think that it's uh, it's smart? to make a generalized recommendation to all people that plants are bad? No, I don't think so. No. I think the ben- I think with every treatment, um, whether it's medicine, wh- whenever you're whenever you're uh, engaging any sort of like activity, um, there's always you always are making whether you're cognizant of it or not a risk benefit analysis. Right. And so I think that the benefits of consuming plants are going to outweigh the risks for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, Ryan, I know you and I are. I mean, obviously, we're, we're omnivores. Max is an omnivore, right? Mm-hmm. 97% of people, 98% of people listening to this are, are probably omnivores. Um, and and then there, I think that works for most people. But mm-hmm. omnivore, just like saying vegan or you know, whatever, that doesn't, m- by definition, make it healthy. You could eat you know, Snickers bars all day and be an omnivore. That, that means nothing, right? What we're really talking about here is cutting out the processed foods, but then also it sounds like cutting out the triggers that if you have immune dysfunction, and yeah, I would suspect, at least this is my hypothesis, someone like Elizabeth who deals with migraines or um, uh, people, like my father was schizophrenic, for example, and now there's studies coming out showing that a lot of that has to do with brain inflammation, right? Yeah. And so if we're talking about reducing inflammation, that definitely starts with food, you know, you can just see this by, by fasting, by the way, if someone who does a prolonged fast reduces inflammation, well, 
that's not the long-term prescription. That's not going to help you, you know, indefinite fasting. And so it's about then reintroducing the foods that aren't going to trigger those autoimmune issues. Yeah, yeah I also think certain nutraceuticals might be able to help. You know, curcumin has been shown to possess anti-inflammatory qualities. Um, I'm a huge fan of extra virgin olive oil. It's, it's basically the primary oil that I use in my kitchen. Uh, it's a myth that you can't cook with it, by the way. You can cook with extra virgin olive oil at low to medium temperatures. But extra virgin olive oil, for example, it's a it's a it's a plant food, right? Mm -hmm. And it has a compound in it called oleocanthal, which has been shown in studies to be as anti-inflammatory as low-dose ibuprofen, but without any of the potential negative side effects Mm. that come with the chronic use of ibuprofen. Wow. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, extra virgin olive oil is a great example of an anti-inflammatory food. So, Mm. instead of like popping two ibuprofen, you would take like a tablespoon of olive oil, like that could (laughs) potentially help? Yeah, I actually do that. That's awesome. I'm going to try that because I get headaches sometimes and I'll pop an ibuprofen because my stomach can handle it, but... I know it's not the best for me, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's no such thing as a biological free lo- free lunch, and especially with these drugs, um, mm. I don't place any stigma on the use of pharmaceuticals because if you need them, you need them, right. and, and you should, you know, we're, I'm glad that they're there for people that need them. Uh, but it's really about the drugs that you use chronically um, that I think you want to be kind of mindful of this. So if you're if you are chronically reaching for the ibuprofen, Ask yourself why. See if there are other, you know, areas of your diet or lifestyle that you might be able to tweak that mm-hmm. are going to have a similar, you know, anti-inflammatory effect. It's so funny. We were uh, helping some refugees in Missoula, Montana, when we were living there, and we were cooking with olive oil. And uh, the the woman who was helping us cook, she was like, "You cook with olive oil?" <sighs> she was like, "In my country, like it's just it's for your hair, it's for your face. Like they don't cook with it at all." Oh wow! But uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. One thing about health too, it's like there's is no perfect diet. There is no like, okay, Josh, this is what you need to do and everyone else needs to do to be 100% healthy. It takes some work to figure out like what diet works best for your body. Mm. Like when I look at Rich, veganism obviously works great for Without him. Without a doubt. I, I yeah. hope I look that good when I turn yeah. 40. And you look at Paul Saladino. Three. You look at yeah. Paul Saladino. I think he's like 40-something, isn't he? Yeah, he looks yeah. great, too. He looks younger than us. Yeah. So it's like uh, there is no perfect diet. So for Elizabeth here, I mean, she has to figure out what works best for her. Now, let me ask you guys, like, would would it be appropriate to, like, recommend for her an anti-inflammatory diet to try it out if she hasn't done this yet? Like an autoimmune protocol? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's definitely worth a shot as sort of a frontline approach to dealing with this because, again, you know, an, uh, chronic reliance on these pain medications are not without risk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that people who who chronically take NSAID drugs, these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, have a, a pretty significant increased risk for cardiovascular events. Mm-hmm. Um, they they've been shown to actually damage the the mitochondria of cardiac tissue. Um, which are the, the the power plants of cells, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would I would you know absolutely uh, advocate for trying you know to to make changes to your diet and lifestyle that um, and and seeing how that and seeing how that plays out before yeah. reaching for these for these drugs. I know, like as I've gotten older, I've had um, it's either psoriasis or eczema that like up my I'll get really dry on my face, and I've done the anti-inflammatory diet, and it totally reduces that. Um, but like you said, you're always like, you know, weighing out the costs. So sometimes I'll have, you know, there'll be something and I'm like, uh, I'm okay. I'll get a little psoriasis from this, but I'm going to go ahead and eat this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, what is the call? And, and the thing is, if you're willing to pay the cost of admission there, right? right. It's like, you know, it, the, the, the problem is when the cost is really delayed, like smoking, you could smoke a cigarette right now. And it's not yeah, going to hurt you immediately, right. right? My mother died of lung cancer when she was 64 years old, mm-hmm. and she smoked since she was 16. Mm-hmm. And so it takes many, many years to end up paying that cost, right? The, it's the the opposite of delayed gratification. It's the the delayed expense of of some of these decisions. I want to move on, Elizabeth. I want to send you. Uh, actually, I'll send you a copy of. Uh, Genius Foods, I I think you'll find some value in that. And then also, since you're in Los Angeles, we've got a tour coming up in November, a podcast tour. We've got a special guest in every city, also a musical guest. We do a live version of the Minimalist Podcast, answer a bunch of questions, have a lot of fun. Uh, We're going to a bunch of cities, uh, but we'll send you a couple tickets, Elizabeth. And for other folks who are interested in coming to one of those tour stops, theminimalists.com slash tour. If you don't city, see a city near you, you can sign up for the email list. We'll notify you when we're coming to your closest city. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for our lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions and comments to 
937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. Those texts go to both of our phones, literally. And we actually do, we reply to some on the podcast. We reply to a bunch of people just from our phones whenever we have a chance. Now, Max, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. <laughs> we put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so people can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if they'd like. And, uh, they can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now, minimalmaxims.com. But really, we just maunder on a yeah. bit. You don't have to give 140 No, it's not really fair because we had to, we got to prepare for this. So right. Yeah, you just ramble and then podcast on will make it look really nice and post. All right. He's a great editor. <laughs> all right, April has a question for us, Ryan. From April, she writes in, can you have a discussion on Joshua's stance that food isn't entertainment? You know what's crazy, Josh? Yeah. This has created, I've seen controversy around that essay. He wrote an essay a long time ago titled, Food is not entertainment. Yeah, I think and, there was a line in the essay. But yeah, I think it was about minimal thoughts on food, but something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's crazy how um, this like, I don't know, it, it creates some visceral reactions from people and that I never even would have guessed would have. Well, my, my wife's a dietitian, nutritionist, a great cook. And, oh, wow. and, and so uh, she, she worked with college kids for over a decade and, and um, really understands this. But even, even someone like her gets a bit of a visceral reaction to it because she is like Max, very balanced. So I used to be morbidly obese. I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now. Wow. Um, I also had a mullet, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not proud oh of. Oh my God, Podcast Sean should like find... No, a, it's I have a picture on my know, Instagram. He should you find that find picture it. on Instagram and like put it... Or I'm sorry, George should put that up on YouTube right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little flash of yeah, it. I was, I was literally... When Ryan and I first met in the fifth grade, I was the fattest kid in our school. Ryan was the second fattest. So we bonded over che- <laughs> cheeseburgers and cheese fries and cheese whiz. Yeah. Um, a lot of processed cheeses, basically. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And um, so so I lost a bunch of weight in high school really unhealthily. Mm. I, I um, just basically didn't eat much. And so I, gained, of course, gained it all back in my early 20s because that's mm. what you – when you don't have the habits and you think that, well, I'll get vegetables if I just eat enough french fries, um, that's, that's a problem, right? Mm. And so – I was irresponsible and I entertained myself with food. I used it as a pacifier. Whenever I got stressed out, I would eat. Whenever I got upset, I would eat. Mm-hmm. And whenever you got bored, you would eat. Absolutely. Yeah. I found a lot of excuses to eat, right? <laughs> right. And also, I didn't understand n- nutrition. I didn't understand about micronutrients. I didn't understand macronutrients. I didn't understand any of it. And and so I gained the weight back in my 20s and then eventually lost it by eating more healthfully. Um, and throughout my twenties and then in my thirties and, um, you know, I'm, I'm healthy now. I have a pristine diet at this point. And I think people get confused, Ryan, when I say food is not entertainment or we shouldn't be entertained by food. What I'm really saying is that we shouldn't pacify ourselves with food, but it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our meals. And I think that's the difference. So my, my pithy answer for you, Ryan, is don't confuse pleasure with well-being and i think that's you you can eat a piece of chocolate cake and it tastes really good during mastication right there's all this gluten and sugar and 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 fat that's dancing on your taste it's going to release that dopamine it's going to make you feel really maybe you know joyful temporarily well yeah pleasurable (laughs) right there there will be no there'll be no real joy in it right absolutely because uh that's where we confuse and and, in fact it may actually get pleasure often not always but and i'm not against pleasure uh, but it often gets in the way of well-being when we seek pleasure as the the sort of outcome yeah yeah i i would have to agree with that actually my my senior thesis film in college was a film uh it was a documentary that i made all about um hedonism as a mm-hmm. as a as a sort of ethical pursuit, you know. Okay. And, so were you um, pro hedonism in this? Well, as a as an undergraduate going to school in Miami, um, uh, yes, yes, I was very much pro hedonism. <laughs> okay, you got to explain what is hedonism. Like, I know, I know what it is, but I can't, I can't think about what hedonism. Yeah, is I mean, right it's now. the it's it's basically pleasure. It's the pursuit of pleasure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. the pursuit as as the highest virtue. As the highest virtue. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, and and I think that you can run into problems when. Uh, you don't sort of have within your purview the long-term goal and that, you know, part of what it means to feel good is to be able to feel good um, and to persist, mm-hmm. you know, as, a, as an entity and to feel good um, not just today uh, in the short term, but to be able to like be free of disease and to feel good tomorrow and the next day and the, and the day after that. Right. Because if all we were was, I mean, if all we had, uh, 
you know, in our focus was the short term. I mean, you could say that like, you know, why, why not smoke cigarettes then or do right. cocaine whenever you want, you know, like, mm-hmm. yes. or any of these things that we know that are not good for us. So I think you have to... Well, jumping out of an airplane without a parachute yeah. would, would be the, the yeah. terminus example of that, right? Yeah. Because you might experience joy and like, who wants to be encumbered by a parachute when you right. can just, you know, free ball it, so to speak, you know, right Until out of the, the plane. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, of course, you know, that ends... Well, I mean, the, I, the, uh, that's not going to end well. Now I understand <laughs> why I was called a hedon at 25 years uh, old. Yeah, yeah hedonist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but what you're talking about is, is, I think, hedonistic eating. And I think that's a big problem. I think we, we tend to do too much of that. And I think it's partly because of what we were talking about earlier, the fact that we're just inundated with stress today. Mm-hmm. Um, but food today has become hyper palatable. It's ultra pleasurable. It pushes our brain to a bliss point beyond which self-control is futile. And I think part of your, what, what you said, I think was right on is that we've got to, we've got to basically free ourselves from this, this pattern of hedonic eating Mm -hmm. and look at food more as uh, you know, as something that can fuel us and can help us feel better uh, tomorrow or the next day. Um, And to live a long time and be free of disease and things like that, which are all worthy. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's you know uh, pleasurable to eat a bunch of Twinkies, but if that's if that's where you go for your entertainment, I mean it's it's not going to be entertaining for very long. Yeah, it doesn't enhance your well being either. Yeah, yeah. My pithy answer is this: emotional support is the antidote for emotional eating, and I think that is uh, really I, I think that's where people go wrong. Food is an easy; it's like a drug. It's a very easy thing to go to to feel better instantly but there's a deeper thing going on and if you can you know hit that deeper issue head on you're going to get through those stressful times a lot easier a friend's support Mm -hmm. is going to be a lot better support than how food is going to support you yeah yeah especially that that the the hedonistic food right Mm -hmm. because ultimately food help healthful food supports us long term Mm -hmm. but when we feel like binge eating um then, then the support of a friend or a community can certainly go a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of hedonic eating myself sometimes. You know, I'm, I definitely, you know, will buy comfort foods and things like that. Do you have um, a go-to? Like, do you, what, I don't know how, what your thoughts are on cheat days or whatever, but is it, do you have like a go-to pacifier food? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm pretty lucky. I live in LA, so I have at my fingertips, any, you know, any number of ultra processed foods that are that are like one step healthier than what you'll typically you know find or like the kinds of junk foods that we grew up on yeah um but healthy yeah, twinkies healthy twi- <laughs> they have those I mean, yeah, yeah. You, can, you can go to a local health food store and find things like yeah. that but yeah like you know generally i'll i'll eat like uh if i find like a good keto chocolate co- chip cookie mm-hmm. or something like that yeah i'm not saying that those foods are health foods they're definitely comfort foods mm-hmm. um they can be very calorically dense you know so they're, so they're not great for you there's also now a line of products that that have come out there like candies but they're like made with somewhat healthier ingredients yeah it's all go through like a bag of those you know yeah um but uh but yeah i mean i think it's always smart to kind of be um, aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So at the very least, it's informed consent. Uh, I think too often what's the case is that we tend to reach for these foods and then, you know, with the intent of only having, uh, you know, one or two pieces or, you know, one or two scoops of the pint of ice cream, for example, and then we end up at the, bo- at the bottom of the pint or at the end of the bag. Story of my life. Yeah. Amen. yeah. And I, I talk about that a lot in my work that, you know, these these foods – that again, they're they're referred to by food scientists as hyperpalatable because they create repeat customers. You know, they're just impossible to moderate our consumption of these foods. Mm. Um, and so, a lot of people, what they end up doing when they overconsume them is they feel like moral failures. You know, they, they it, it promotes black or white thinking. They feel like they've fallen off the bandwagon. They feel like they're just not good at this whole being healthy thing or this whole dieting thing. When in reality, I think these people need to know that these foods are designed to be overconsumed. It's not a moral failing if you choose to indulge in them, at least let it be informed consent and make that decision to have a planned indulgence is what, what I like to call them. Yeah. Great way to put it. All right, before we get into our listener tips and our added value segment today, Ryan, I can't wait to talk to you about this added value because I think you and I both got something different out of it, but mm. I think we it added value to both of our lives. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. But first, it looks, looks like we got a bunch more surprise questions this week, like how can minimalist practices help improve my health? How can I use minimalism to address the challenges of a chronic illness? Also, does poor mental health affect our performance? And what are some exercises that Max would recommend for someone who does not have access to gym equipment and does not want to spend money on excess items? 
Ryan, we're also going to talk about longevity. We're going to talk about air quality and pollution. We're going to talk about processed foods. We're going to talk about the immune system. All that and a million more questions for Max Lugavere. And if you want to hear all that, check out our Maximal episode this week on The Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a completely separate podcast, not just a separate episode. It's a separate podcast feed. And it's just a couple bucks. And it's the most honest way for the minimalist to earn an income because we don't believe in advertisements. So we make money only if you find value in and support what we create. Head on over to theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get a personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You can find all the details over there on our website, theminimalists.com slash support. Ryan, what else you got for us this week? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hi, Josh and Ryan. My name is Perry. I'm calling in response to Christina from the Neo Minimalism podcast. Um, one way that I've found to introduce friction to online buying is with passwords. So I will either just delete all of the saved passwords in my uh, computer or phone, or I will change the password on a site and I'll write it down and put it someplace where I have to actually go get it if I want to buy something from that website. So that way I have to um, really want to uh, buy something. Otherwise, I go to sign in and I'm just like, no way, this is too much work. Um, so that's a really easy way to prevent yourself from impulse buying. Hi, my name's Teresa and I'm calling from Indianapolis. And I've just found your podcast, so I'm going through them randomly, and this is about podcast number 92. Somebody mentioned they had a lot of papers, and they mentioned medical. I just retired from working in medical records in an oncology office. Please, please obtain and keep your own medical records. Uh, scan them into a secure file. The law only requires medical facilities to keep those for seven years. And if a doctor can't verify your previous diagnosis and treatment, it could affect your current treatment and treatment plan. So please take care of your medical records. Make them available for your next doctor. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Max Lugavere for joining us today. Check out his book, The Genius Life. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. Also, he has a podcast of the same name called The Genius Life. If you enjoyed our conversation with him today, you'll enjoy that. You can check out his Instagram feed as well. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. He does some workouts, some food tips, a bunch of uh, comprehensive coverage there on his Instagram feed. Check that out in our show notes as well. If you like him on here, you'll like his podcast. You'll enjoy The Genius Life, his book as well. Ryan, for our added value this week, Dave Chappelle recorded his new special. Now, is it a special or is it like a preview? No, so here's the thing. Netflix recorded a special with him, and they decided to... Now, initially, it was reported that it was going to be a preview on YouTube, and then that they were going to do something on Netflix separate. That was the initial reports, but it appears that... Netflix just released this on YouTube. Yeah, on uh, Netflix is a joke. They have a YouTube channel called Netflix is a joke. Right, yeah. right. And so they've released it on YouTube. Dave Chappelle special mm-hmm. is called 846. Mm-hmm. And that is the time that George Floyd was... Held down. Held down with a knee to his neck and murdered. Uh, and, you know, the, the special, it was filmed in Dayton, Ohio. Well, Yellow Springs, which is a suburb of Dayton. And, and, you know, you and I have spent a lot of, a lot of time out there. Mm-hmm. And so he did the social distancing thing. In mm-hmm. fact, it was reportedly the first concert to happen in, in North America since the, the pandemic. Wow. Uh, outside of, uh, I guess, drive-ins. They've done some drive-in concerts where people hang out in their cars with their windows up. And our windows cracked, maybe. Now, what did you get out of this, this special, 846? Because you, you had a visceral reaction to it in, in, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got out of it just how unfairly black people are treated by cops. I mean, it was a perspective from a black person about how, I mean, the the craziest thing from that is how, spoiler alert, uh, he had a cop pull him over. Yeah. And he was like, all right. In Beaver Creek. Yeah, and he's like, hey, I've got my, I just want to let you know, I'm going to go to my glove box and I'm going to get my license or registration and the cop is like yeah i know who you are dave Chappelle." Mm-hmm. and he was like great and he got let go but then that same cop that pulled him over ended up killing someone unarmed right later like the, the following week or something and he made the point of like why do i got to be dave Chappelle to not get treated like a suspect yeah and uh you know unfortunately and i don't know where this comes from whether it's systemic racism in 
are uh, the authority that's set up, whether it's uh, whatever it is, man. Like there is something. There's some good points that he makes as far as um, some discrimination that happens. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was a it was a good take on it, and it really helped me. I don't think I can ever truly understand, but helps me, you know, get closer to understanding. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's something about, you know, our, our continuous conversation about empathy versus compassion. Mm-hmm. And while it's going to be impossible for you and me to have complete empathy for right. that situation, yeah. even though I grew up in it and, and, and saw my brother being treated differently by police than, than me yeah. because of the color of his skin. Well, you know what's interesting is that, so Jerome got tased twice in high school. Yes. And it's funny because I can look at those times and I can say, well, he was acting angrily. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. He but, was. you know, it's interesting because at the time I looked at it, I was like, well, he was acting angrily and that's, you know, th- that's something that maybe he could have avoided when it got in tased. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'd be freaking angry too if I got pulled over for the same reasons he got pulled over. Right. And here's the thing. You've likely, I know I have, I've acted angrily toward cops and I've never been tased. 100%. And I've acted the same exact way he's acted. And and yeah. that's the point. It's not that he, well, yeah, he did something wrong. Yes, he did. But he was treated different for that that wrongness right and and what we could have a debate on whether or not there's systemic racism or whatever to me these terms start to lose meaning because people want to have debates around these things there was there are instances of racism we all know this i think everyone agrees on that yes and what dave Chappelle's special brought up was whether or not you believe in systemic racism or you believe that racism is even a problem in america writ large you can recognize that there are instances that people go through, especially black people go through, especially black men Mm -hmm. go through, uh, that it makes it more difficult to feel safe in your own sort of neighborhood and feel safe around the people that, that protect you. And he brings up some really great analogies. I won't, I won't go through them here in the special other than to say, Check it out. We'll put a link yeah. to it in the show notes. It's on YouTube. It's called 846. Yeah. And he does a great job. It's a stand-up special. There's st- there's some comedy there. A little bit. Yeah. And and but that's the it's, thing. Yeah. Chappelle has always not focused on the the laughs per minute. Even if you look at Stick, Sticks at Stones, which I think might be the greatest stand-up special of all time. Yeah. I think you can make a case for that. Yeah. Even in that special, he's not focusing on how many laughs can I get in per minute. Mm-hmm. It's a TED talk with laughter. Yeah, and that—that's especially what happens here, and, yeah. and he is able to report on cultural things and inject some humor into them. He's a master at it. Absolutely. Yeah. So check it out. Well, we'll put a link to that well, in the you show know what's notes. What's interesting, man, is uh, again, uh, I used to I used to look at certain situations like with your brother, and be like, oh well, there, you know, this isn't racism. This is w- insert you know white man's opinion there. Yeah. And what Dave Chappelle's and and I've come so far from that Mm -hmm. but dave Chappelle's special uh if you're someone who is you know you're a white person and you're looking at it and you're saying oh this is so blown out of proportion and oh you know this there's no racism watch that special and tell Mm -hmm. me that there's not racism yeah yeah without a question there's racism there are other times though that we can assign a racial motive to things and we need Mm -hmm. to be clear about this as well where race is not involved and so what i like about Chappelle is he is able in this I, I i see this in my brother as well and you know jerome damn near as well as i do um it, he we're, we're we're able to see race without seeing everything through the lens of race yes and that's what Chappelle does masterfully yeah and i appreciate that because when everything becomes tinted with race then you see racism and everything right. and Chappelle doesn't see racism and everything my brother jerome doesn't see racism and everything mm-hmm. but also recognizes just like you and i recognize that there that race can play a factor in certain things like yeah. being tased by the police yeah. unnecessarily it can play a role doesn't mean that it necessarily it plays a role but it can play a role real quick ryan for right here right now i'm excited to announce this maybe you can talk more about it but we have we have a new ebook yeah it's free yes and because budgeting is free and 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 so i think you and you've done a lot of mentoring over the mm-hmm. years you know you over a thousand hours of mentoring people mm-hmm. at this point now it started in the corporate world because you were a phenomenal mentor in the corporate world oh keep going <laughs> <laughs> and and then we started the minimalist. I, I started this writing class and you started mentoring people one on one at one point. Mm-hmm. That became too much to handle because the demand was six, eight, nine months out at some point, right? Yeah. Because you didn't want to take on 20 clients at once or anything. Yeah, more clients than there was time. Right. Yeah. And so um, 
one of the main things that came up in addition to minimalism and stuff was budgeting. Yeah, I mean, a, a common factor that comes up a lot is money. People have money problems, whether it's budgeting, whether it's trying to uh, pay off debt, whether it's trying to retire. I mean, people have money problems. And uh, I don't want to undermine money problems. They are problems. Yes. Uh, so the key to getting control of your financial life it is with budgeting, and that's yeah. why we're doing this ebook, the financial freedom, because it is it is really a budgeting book. It tells you how to create a budget, and uh, yeah, if you're someone who is struggling with money, this is a great perspective. I would totally recommend you check out. And if free is in your budget, right? You can check it out uh, theminimalists.com/budget. We'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It just came out. If you're on our email list, you you already know about it. But financial freedom, the free budgeting ebook. We put it together. It's five difficult steps to you know get your budget under under wraps, basically, right? And, and so, you, do you want to talk any more about it? Or you just want to have them check out the uh, the blog post. Yeah, there? Have a, check out the blog post. I mean, it's uh, again, it's just a perspective that I think would add value to anyone who is struggling with budgeting and struggling with money. And and by the way, that doesn't mean it, I found that rich or poor. I mean, it's like it doesn't matter who you are. When we grew up poor, we, you and I would have really benefited from a budget. And I know one of the the key excuses that people use with you when they were your clients, people would often say what? I'm poor. I don't need to budget to know that I'm poor. Right. And it's like, well, if you don't know how poor you are, like that's, you're doing yourself a disservice. Mm-hmm. I, I do understand that there's some extreme poverty in this country, in this world. Mm-hmm. And if you, you don't have a budget, especially in an impoverished situation, you're you are only hurting yourself right now it's funny you know Derek Sivers who sold his company CD baby for 22 million Mm dollars at one point which by the way he donated all that to charity 100% of it went to charity oh wow Um, and so he had someone ask him tell me about what it was like I really want to know what it's like to finally become rich And he's like okay Um, it happened when I was 22 I made $22,000 a year and I spent $16,000 a year yeah. And that's the first time I became rich. Mm. And, and they were like, no, 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 I'm talking about like when you, you know, you, you, you formed a company and you started making, oh, he's like, oh, that's, those are just the details. Like that's the math. Right. The way that I became rich is I started spending less money than I earned. I was yeah. making 22,000. I was spending 16,000. Mm-hmm. That's when I became rich. And by the way, that's what enabled him to donate $22 million. He's not a multimillionaire as a result of the sale of that company. Right. 100% of that money was given away to charity. Yeah. The reason that he's well off is because he has his, expense, his expenses under control. And he does that through spending less than he makes. And that's what re- budgeting is really about. Now, you go through some of the details in the ebook. Anyway, check it out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Theminimalists.com slash budget. You can follow The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Come on, come to one of our live podcast shows. You can visit theminimalists.com slash tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalists. And if you want our show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive a simple Sunday email whenever we send those out. No spam, no junk, no advertisements ever. We just want to add value to your inbox. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it